Super Bowl experience, and, and apparently it's incredible. You got the game, you got the halftime show, you know, all those kinds of things. But here's what you're looking at paying if you ever actually wanted to go and see the Super Bowl in person. Um, for two people, number one, the ticket's going to be averaged around $9,000 per ticket. So $9,000 per, and that's the average. Some go up to the twenties dollars to $50,000 range per ticket, depending on the placement of them. So let's just do average of $9,000 a ticket. For two people, you're looking at about $1,000 for the plane ride, and then that's in a hotel for a couple days. So basically, I calculated if two of you go, because like going to the Super Bowl yourself would be a little bit lame. You're just sitting there by yourself. So if two of you went, you're looking at about $19,500 to go see the Super Bowl live. Does anyone in the room, and if you do, it's fine, just hold up your hand. Does anyone think that it's worth it? It would be worth it to pay $19,500 to see the Super Bowl person. Okay, we got one in the room. I get it. The rest of you are like, okay, Knessa. Okay, so Knessa is the one volunteering his dad to pay twenty grand to go see it with him. I'll, you were just voluntold. That was really great. Like, that's great. Um, no, but let's just be honest. Like, Super Bowl would be cool, but at the end of the day, like, I got guac, I've got queso, I've got all these things at my home, and I can chill out and see the game there kind of a thing. So, yeah, so most of us probably wouldn't pay that. All right, let's go to another experience. Let's go to a T-Swift concert. That's Taylor Swift for some of the older people in the room who don't understand the idea of who T-Swift is. So Taylor Swift this past, I think, fall or winter, um, her next concert tour went on sale, and it was a madhouse. Like on Ticketmaster, it sold out, and people were gobbling up tickets and trying to resell them for $22,000, where some of them were. Uh, $22,000. Even like, I think it was like 12 to 22 was even the range. Some people were trying to sell them and resell them, okay? They fixed it. So now the average ticket is about 400 to 450 bucks a pop. Ticketmaster does add on about $11 billion worth of fees, which I can't understand because it's online, meaning they don't do anything. I, I did the work, and yet I have to pay them more money to see it. I'm being bitter. I'm moving on. Okay, so let's just say it's in Vancouver, Seattle. You're not having to pay for the plane ticket. Go ahead. You're just going to go to the concert. Who out here would think that it would be worth it to pay about 400 to 450 to go to actually get to see T-Swift in person, concert live? Yes, I see a couple guys in the room. I am so proud of you for not lying and like for being legit. I don't know that you have like the dignity is not the word right now, but like I just admire your courage and bravery right now that some guys raise their hands. I'm going to add this on. I didn't do it the first service. All right. Would you then, let's say you got front row tickets for, well, let's just say a thousand a piece. So two grand if there was two of you. Would you keep the ticket and see in person or would you resell it for 20 grand? So yeah, although all the people who said resell were the people who didn't raise their hands to go see it in the first place, I will say I asked two people in the last service and it was split. It was like one one person said they would still go see it. One person said, nope, I'll take the 20 grand. So yeah, so some people think it would be worth it. Others wouldn't. Let's uh, let's go overseas. Let's go on a cruise together. I think we got a picture of the type of place we're going. This is a Mediterranean cruise we're going to go on, okay? But like not just any Mediterranean cruise. We're doing it right. So we're going to go on the Viking Cruise Line, which is apparently like the best cruise line in the world. So we're going to do Viking Cruise. We're going to be at the Penthouse Veranda Suites. Like we're like really doing it up nice and everything. It's 17 days long. You start in Venice. You go around like Italy over to Rome. You're going to hit up um, like France. 
France and Marseille. You're going to hit Barcelona in Spain. 17 days, a lot of different cities. If you've never been on a cruise before, if you don't want to do anything, you can do that. You can just sit at the pool all day. You don't have to do anything. If you love to do lots of things, you can do that. You can go and explore the cities. They've got shows. They've got all kinds of things. It includes all of your food. It includes all of your drinks. I'm a, I'm a basically, I'm, I'm a sales representative right now for all cruise lines everywhere. I feel like I should get a cut of the profit if you go. I went on my first cruise last year. It was insane. I'm a big cruise guy now. So I did the math, and if you did on the 17-day cruise for two people, including your plane ticket, you're looking at $17,500. So how many of you, if you sold up over a year, uh, I mean sold up, if you saved up over years, or maybe if you sold some of your possessions, if you had the chance to go, would put down the money to go on this Viking cruise at some point in your life? Okay. The people who've been on cruises. Yes, like you know, it is out there. It's awesome. Okay. Um, we're not going to put this picture up yet uh, of the place. I want to describe it to you first. I'm a big foodie. I love food. You probably, yeah, I could tell, like, you know, you look like a guy that loves food. I do. And I own that as a badge of honor. I love, love, love good food. Um, what I, we kind of, the system we do every month at our house is um, I get my paycheck and then my wife gives me my spending money for the month. And you laugh, but that's the way it works. <laughs> and uh, it's just, and I'm not bitter about that. It's how we do it. It's how we do it to save money. So I, what I'll do sometimes is I'll save my spending cash for like months on end because if I know of a good restaurant in a city that I'm going through, I will go and I will spend a great meal. Like a few years ago, I was going through Birmingham, Alabama. That year, their restaurant there had been named best restaurant in the U.S. They'd also been named best pastry chef in the U.S. that year. I said, okay, I'm going there. So I got like, I got an appetizer, entree, dessert. It ended up being a few hundred bucks just for me and I sat at the table by myself and it was amazing and it was worth it. Okay, let me tell you, it was worth it. But we're going to go for this one. It's the number one restaurant in the world last year. It's called Geranium. Don't put the picture up there quite yet. Just let them keep looking at the cruise lines. Um, it's called Geranium. It's in Copenhagen, Denmark. Um, did some math of saying, okay, what if you flew over for a couple of you and you flew over there, got a decent hotel, and then you got to go to the restaurant. The restaurant is $435 per person. So that includes like eight or nine course meals. So you're at the number one restaurant in the world, $435 a person. Plus then you got your tickets and your hotel. You're looking at about $3,100 total. So $3,100 to say I went to the best restaurant in the world, ate the best food in the world, had the meal of a lifetime and got to go to Copenhagen in order to do it. How many people would say that's worth it? I'm going to go do that. Yes. Now actually, wait, wait, let me change it up. I forgot to tell you something. Can we put a picture up there of, of the restaurant? It's vegetarian only. <laughs> so no meat. Now they do do eggs and caviar. So you're at least getting that. I'm like, I know egg prices have gone up. I didn't realize they were that expensive. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that is vegetarian. Now anyone want to drop out? They're like, nope, not doing it anymore. Okay, a few of you are actually still in. Okay, yeah, a few people dropped out. Like, no, sorry. I'm not going over there for um, vegetables that I could get for 20 bucks at, at Hagen. Forget Copenhagen. I'm just going to Hagen. But yeah, so all these different things, different experiences. For some of us, we think it'd be worth it. For others, it's like, no, nah, it wouldn't be worth it. And a lot of it, right, is just subjective. You can take that down so they don't have to keep looking at vegetables that were styled in a really cool way. Um, but yeah, some of us would do it. Some of us would weren't. A lot of it is based on personal preferences and our taste and what we like and experiences like, yada, yada, yada. But there's one question I want to ask us today. I really want to put it in a sense one more thing before you. I'm not going to put it up on the screen. I just want to put it before you as an individual. And it's not an experience, although in a sense you do experience this person, but it's just a person. It's this, Jesus, is he worth it? 
Now you would say yes, for sure, but let me clarify and qualify what the it is, right? Because when I say, is Jesus worth it? Earlier when I'd go through these things and I'd say, man, Super Bowl, 19,500, T-Swift, $800 for two tickets, 17-day cruise, 17,500, so on and so forth. I can give you exact dollar amounts, but like, what is the it here? Because you can't buy Jesus. That's not how this works. But it does biblically like say over and over again in the New Testament that it, in a sense, does cost us something. We have to sacrifice something to have Jesus. And that is all of us. I'll, I'll, let me make it personal. It takes all of you. Like in Scripture repeatedly, when Jesus would look at people, he basically made a demand on all of them. He didn't just say, hey, give me Sundays and like kind of your weekday mornings kind of a thing, and that's enough. He didn't say, hey, give me a portion of your possessions. You know, he just literally just said, hey, I want all of you. Um, at one point, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he said, if anyone wants to follow me, they must deny themselves. So they no longer get to be the king or queens of their own lives. They must deny themselves, take up their crosses. A cross was an instrument of death. So they're dying to themselves every day, and then they're following Jesus. The, the illustration I like to give to this is the idea of a blank check mentality. Um, my kids and I recently rewatched an old Disney movie called Blank Check. Anybody remember that movie? Oh, such a good movie, man. I just, at the time, I thought you could buy a castle for like 500 grand. I think you bought it for. I was like, oh, dude, only now the way inflation works, you could never do that. Anyways, blank check ideas. That means when you give someone a blank check, you're basically saying like you have total reign of over how much you want or need. Like, I'm not saying I'm only going to give you a portion of my funds. I'm saying you can have as much as you need or want. So really, we are called to have a blank check mentality towards Jesus where we say, hey, everything is yours. Now, sometimes he might call you to do different things differently than other people. But at the end of the day, you have the mentality of saying, I'm not just going to give you a part of my life. Like, everything is yours. There's a different analogy. I didn't plan on this, um, but I'll just do it since I have a stool here to save some of the papers I'm going to be using. Is like, if this kind of represents the throne of your life, like pre-Jesus, it's you. You're on the throne. You're calling the shots. You are the king or the queen of your world and your dominion. And then to become a Christian, to follow Jesus, is to step off the throne and say, I'm going to let you have it now. And Jesus is calling the shots. So let me ask you again, like, is Jesus worth it? Specifically, is he worth your all? That's what we're diving into this morning. There's actually a parable, a short parable that Jesus tells where he gives a very clear, succinct answer that I want us to dive into together this morning. We're going to be in Matthew uh, 13. So if you want to flip over to Matthew 13. Um, we're walking through the series on the parables of Jesus. If, if you're new with us or maybe new to faith or new to church, um, parables are just short, succinct stories um, that Jesus would tell, usually to make one main point or tell one main lesson. And, and we're working through these mainly out of the book of Luke, although occasionally we are going to go to a different book of the Bible. This one's in Matthew, mainly because this is the only um, place in the Gospels where these parables, these two short ones we're going to read together, are found. But we're looking at these parables, basically, okay, what, what is Jesus trying to speak to us and to tell us in our day using stories from his time? A lot of these parables, one thing I would add, is they're about something that would be called the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. Um, both mean the same thing, but you're like, okay, well, like, what is that? Because we don't actually live in a kingdom anymore. Um, I think I've got a slide, David, that we're going to put up on the screen. Here's what a slide I kind of I made. If I was saying, okay, here's what life in the kingdom looks like, and life in the kingdom of God looks like. It's active submission to and enjoying the benefits of having Jesus as your king. So the idea of a kingdom is a kingdom must have a king, right? 
And the idea here is that when Jesus is your king, he is calling the shots in your life. And then the more he is king of your life, your life becomes more of a part of his kingdom. And then I'll say not just your life, but the world. And the kingdom is the place where things are in your life and the world the way they are in heaven, the way he wants them. So these stories were often told to illustrate what does life in the kingdom where he is king of your life and of the world and the different spheres of your life, what does that look like? Now that being said, we're going to be in Matthew 13. It's going to be three short verses, but there's so much depth and meaning and value here. Let's stand and read these together. Matthew 13, 44 through 46. This is God's word. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sowed all that he had and bought it. Jesus, open our eyes to your word to see things from it to get fresh insights, perspectives. But Lord, even more than that, open our hearts, Lord. Help us not only to see that you and your kingdom are this incredible treasure and that you are worth it, but help us to feel at the depths of who we are and to live differently from this day forward because of it. In your name we pray, amen. You can feel free to have a seat. So Jesus tells these two parables of what the kingdom of heaven is like. And really, I think these get to the answer of the question that I have before us that we're considering of, is Jesus worth it? And really simply put, when you read it, it's like, yep, he is. So on that note, we're going to bring the band back up and they're going to play and we're going to call it a day. I'm kidding. We're not doing that. Like there's, there's more to dive in here today. But I do want to kind of say like, yeah, this, this text, this, some parables can be a little bit hard to follow and to understand. This one is really kind of straightforward and simple is Jesus tell these two stories of two different people. One is going and they just happen to stumble upon the treasure. So they're not looking for it, but they stumble upon this treasure in this field. If that sounds weird, that was actually not, um, it was rare in the sense of it didn't happen all the time, but it wasn't completely uncommon because in that day there were no banks. So if you had money or let's say as common was as this in this day, if an army is coming in to invade your city, if they come in, they're going to steal all of your stuff. So what people would do is they would go and they'd bury their belongings or treasures in a field or in a piece of earth, cover it over with the thought that once those people are gone, then later they can go and dig it back up. But then what would happen is sometimes those people would die in those, in those um, invasions or stuff like that. And then no one knew the treasure was there. And so occasionally these treasures would be found. So Jesus is like, hey, this person who wasn't even looking for it, stumbles upon it, and it is so much. And I love that little phrase, in his joy, he went and sowed everything and bought it. Another story Jesus tells, then is that the parable, the guy's actually looking for uh, the, sorry, the parable of the pearl of great price. He's actually looking for pearls. Pearls were insanely expensive in this day. They still are today, but even more back then, partly because of how rare they were, partly because of how hard they were to get. Found out a few weeks ago that the process they would often follow at this time is whoever was actually going diving for pearls into the water, they'd have to go down, get an oyster, all that kind of good stuff, pry it open to see if a pearl was there. What they would do is they'd go out in a boat, they would tie rocks or a big stone to their body, would then dive over into the water, let the stone or the rock drag them to the bottom, then try to find an oyster. If they found it, they then got it, had to cut off the rock from their leg, not their leg off, in case that wasn't clear, but you had to cut the rope, go back up into the water, hopefully make it up in time before they drowned, open it, see if there was actually a pearl inside of the oyster. If there wasn't, they would shuck it, 
eat it real fast, go back down. No, I've just made that part up. But still, like, it's a very, very hard thing to do. So this person who's actually searching for fine pearls finds the greatest one he's ever seen. And both of them, the one who was intentionally trying to look for it and the one who was not, both have the same reaction. What was it? They went and did what? They sowed everything they had. Everything. And, and it doesn't seem like in the, in the parables, they like deliberated. They didn't sit down and say, well, is this really going to be worth it? No, like in the parable of the treasure in the field, it says in his joy. And so in other words, he doesn't sit and make a pros and cons list. He doesn't sit and try to figure out the budget. He's like, no, no, no. Like this obviously is a treasure far greater than anything I have. I'm going to go sow everything I have so I can get that field because the treasure's in that field. And then I will have infinitely more than I ever had before. In fact, maybe he would say it's not even a sacrifice because what the person gets back is infinitely more than anything they give up. So Jesus tells these two simple stories, basically it's to illustrate that these guys found a treasure, I mean, a treasure so much more valuable than anything they had. They were willing to give up everything to have it. And so Jesus simply gives us the answer that, listen, life in the kingdom, finding the kingdom. And I would actually say this, you cannot separate the kingdom from the king. You can't. The kingdom is defined by Jesus. So finding the kingdom, and therefore I'd say finding the king, finding Jesus is a treasure greater than, greater than anything you could ever give up. It's worthy of your all. That if you really understood just who Jesus is and what he offers and the kingdom that he offers, you would give a blank check and you would think you were getting a bargain for it. You would think, man, Jesus is like, Jesus is kind of getting played a little bit right now because like I'm getting all this and he's getting me, but man, this is so much better of a bargain. You would give it up instantaneously. Jesus is teaching us that. But, but here's what happens if, if we're being honest. is like it's so easy to understand, but at a deeper level sometimes, if we were honest as believers in Jesus, we sometimes lose sight of just how valuable he is. Like in, this, in, a, in a church service, I can say, is Jesus worth it? Our instantaneous response is yes. But then throughout our week, we get distracted by other things that in that moment we consider more valuable than Jesus or we struggle. But this question, is Jesus worth it, is at the heart of so much of our Christian experience. I would say, even say, let's go back of entering the faith. If you are a non-Christian here, if you're a person who's not actively seeking to follow Jesus, like you at some point are going to ask yourself this question, is Jesus worth worth it? Is he worth getting off the throne of my own life and saying, it's no longer going to be about me. Now Jesus has control and it's going to be about him. But it's also our daily lives. I remember this um, uh, quote about basically sin and obedience from John Piper. I was reading this book called Future Grace and I never made it past the first page for like a week. And it's because on the first page of this book, I get to the sentence that said this, sin is what you do when you're not satisfied with Jesus. And I was just like, Hah! like I like closed it and like I put it down. Like I got to pray through that. I got to think through that. But basically saying, hey, sin is what we do when we don't think Jesus is worth it and we think something else is more valuable. So at the heart of our struggles with sin and obedience is this question, is Jesus worth it? It is at the heart of us as a church in terms of missions and in terms of church planning, the sacrifices we have to make, the things we got to go do, sending people to different corners of the world where there's different conditions and threats. At the end of the day, the core question is not do we have enough money, is Jesus it's, is Jesus worth it? 
persecution comes our way, the core question, if we're going to endure persecution, is, is Jesus worth it? If we are suffering in life, I was running yesterday, suffering because my, my Garmin watch told me, hey, you need to go on an hour and 20 minute run, which I hadn't done in like a decade. So I was like, oh, thanks, Garmin. You know a lot about me. So I was like suffering while I was walking out there, but I was just thinking about this as I'm running and suffering just from the physical. And I was just thinking about the suffering that people endure. And I just started to weep, literally, as I'm, I was running around. Luckily, it was raining, so no one would have noticed that they were driving by me. But like, I just thought like, man, like at the end of the day, as people are suffering, and I've been there, if you've been there, like, you know, at the end of the day, if I'm going to hold on and press through, it's got to be, is Jesus worth pressing through? Is it worth it? It's at the center of so much. So we need to not just say, yeah, he's worth it. The way we send somebody like, you've got to feel this. Because if you do, it will be the fuel for your Christian walk by God's grace. So here's what I want to do for a few minutes. It's not just simply give you the simple answer it says in the text. I actually want to dive a little deeper and just, okay, like, let's just talk about why Jesus is valuable. Yes, the kingdom is well, but again, the kingdom is related to a king. Like, so why is Jesus, why is the king so valuable? And here, here's what I'm hoping happens. None of this is really going to be initially new. It's reminders. But what I'm hoping happens in us this morning is that as we hear all these things that we may know, but maybe we've forgotten, or maybe our love for Jesus has, has grown cold, or maybe it's not even there yet for you. What I'm hoping is that as I go through these, it just rekindles it. That's like blowing fresh wind on a fire that's dying out. Or that maybe you're, you're in here this morning and, you know, at one point you got, Jesus kind of did have the blank check from your life. But if you were more honest, you say, all right, I want to take back parts of my life and part of the parts are going to be more valuable than you. I'm hoping that as you see just how crazy, supremely valuable Jesus is, we'll get back to a posture where we say, no, no, Jesus, like you're worth more than anything and you can have it all. So here's what I want us to do. We're going to go through three things together just to kind of get our minds and our hearts around how valuable Jesus is. I want us to talk about who Jesus is, what he gives, and then how he can never be taken from us. So who Jesus is, what Jesus gives, and how Jesus can never be taken from us. Let's start with who Jesus is. This matters because part of determining something's value, and if we're saying Jesus is the supremely valuable thing that we see in this text, like if he is infinitely more valuable than anything we could ever give up, it starts with the nature and quality of something. Because like even think of a material, right? Platinum is inherently more valuable than bronze or than wood because there's something about the inherent quality and nature and character of platinum that just makes it more valuable. In the same way, once you understand the nature and the characteristics of Jesus You'll just understand how valuable he is. This came to me home to me um, about five or six years ago in a whole new way. Around that time, I was being encountered all the times with this, this phrase of our identity in Christ, which is such an important thing. Who you are in Jesus because of his saving work in your life is so important. But I was seeing all these PDFs and lists about who you are in Christ. I even like brought one here uh, for me. Here it is. Um, what this person did was they made this list of Everything that you are in Christ once you've believed in him. So you are Christ's friend. It actually puts it in the first person. I am God's child. I have been justified. I am Christ's friend. I am a member of Christ's body. I'm assured that all things work together for my good. So basically this person said, here's all the things that are true of you in Christ. And it put all these Bible verses corresponding. And it's five pages long. And listen, this is amazing. I don't want you to take away. I'm knocking this at all. But around this time, this thought just stirred inside of me. Man, I'm hearing all the time about my identity in Christ but I'm not really hearing anything about the identity of Christ. Like I'm hearing a lot about me, but I don't hear much about Jesus. I don't hear much about God and who, like who he is. 
which really means a lot more because if my identity is in Christ, if I understand his identity and who he is, then man, that actually means more for my identity than if it's all just about me. So what I did is I started my own list and it's actually still ongoing. So if you ask for me afterward, I may say, hey, give me another six months to a year and maybe, I'll, oh, that's the order of service. I don't need it anyways. Um, <laughs> like I may not be able to give it to you yet, but here's what I did. Five years ago, I just went and I kind of just found different lists of attributes of God and of Jesus and just kind of wrote them on a document. And then as I was reading through the Bible, I would just go through and copy and paste that verse into the different headings. And um, at this point, whereas that was five pages, um, I'm now at page 92. And what's happened over the years is I've just seen all of the attributes and characteristics of Jesus and all the verses in Scripture that point. I just realized in the Bible we have this treasure trove of beautiful diamonds and pearls on who Jesus is. If you're out there worried that I'm going to start reading these all 92, we're not doing that right now. But instead, what I want is I just want to scratch the surface of this a little bit. So I'm just going to highlight a few of just who Jesus is and why he is supremely valuable. First, I tell you, Jesus is supremely valuable because he is supremely powerful. He has all the power in the world. This is the Jesus who walked on water, who healed the sick and the lame and the blind. He is the Jesus who right now, tying this to his supremeness in creation, he not only created the created order, but he is sustaining it. So right now, the sun, which is the equivalent of literally millions of nuclear bombs going off every second, he is sustaining that. So the only reason it is going is because Jesus is right now allowing it to go on. The power of the sun is nothing compared to the power of the S-O-N sun, Jesus Christ. But he's not only sustaining the sun and all of our solar systems and the universe. He is sustaining you. The breath you just took is because Jesus is sustaining work in creation. And his power is allowing you to take that breath. The blood that just coursed through your veins that is allowing you to keep alive right now is because Jesus is all powerful and he is the sustaining one from the greatest things in the universe down to the smallest atoms of your body. He is all-powerful, and he is sustaining it. Jesus is also supreme in his knowledge. Um, a week ago, as I was flying over um, Nevada and Utah and, and, and even parts of California, it just struck me how much nothingness there was beneath me. There was no clouds you could just see. And there was nothing but sand and desert and all these little shrubs and stuff, and it just, it just hit me. No human being is ever going to step there hopefully for them, like, because it was just nothing, and it was hot, and it was just awful, and like, no one's ever going to step there, and so like, there's literally, like, trees that no one is ever going to see, and, and there's leaves that no one is ever going to see flutter in the wind, and there's bits of dust that are flying around that no one's ever going to see, yet Jesus knows them, like, he is fully aware of how many trees are on every particular leaf, and how many grains of sand are in Nevada, and Arizona, and California, and all of those places. I was driving around also in January, through Oregon, there's these fields of grass. I just thought, he right now is infinitely aware of every little blade of grass. Like, he is supreme in his knowledge. Like, all of the different things that we have online and all the wealth of information look like nothing compared to the wealth of knowledge he has. But he's not only supreme in his knowledge, he's supreme in his wisdom. He's never been perplexed about what to do. Like, he, Jesus has never looked down at planet Earth saying, <laughs> he stumps me this time. He is supreme in how to use the knowledge that he has to work good ends for his good means, like for his people. He is supreme in his wisdom. He's also supreme in his presence. 
Like there is nowhere you can go without him. He right now is at the height of Mount Everest. He is at the depth of Maria on a trench. He is everywhere that you'll ever be, which also means, by the way, that you could never be alone because everywhere you are, Jesus is there with you. Look at Psalm 139 if you do not believe me. And yet in all these things I've been saying, I don't know how like you've been feeling, but a lot of these things I've been talking about, you get the sense of Jesus and God being this massive, powerful, all-powerful, all massive entity, and he is, Jesus is infinite, but did you also know that he is also intimate and kind and gracious? So yes, we could talk about his supreme power, his omnipotence, and all those things, but he is also supreme in his grace towards us. Do you realize, like, I don't know if this hits you, but he has been in every little moment of your life. He is all-knowing about everything you've ever done, and if you're me, you begin to think, that's not necessarily a good thing. He's been with me in my darkest moments when I have my darkest thoughts or feelings, even if no one else knew what those were. He's seen me at my worst, and yet he is still gracious towards me and patient with me. Have you ever noticed in Scripture that Jesus, like how magnetic he was? This isn't a theological category, but maybe it should be the magnetism of Christ. The people least liked Jesus most liked Jesus. Like they were the ones who were most drawn to him. So Jesus isn't this infinite guy that you're scared of and say, well, no, he's intimate. He's a guy that actually draws people in that are not like him at all. You want to go on? We could. Because we're just scratching the surface of who Jesus is. We're just scratching the surface. There's so much more. And I even, like, you could meditate on every verse that I've written down and the more that I haven't yet. And if you just meditated on your lifetime, you would only come to the outskirts of your knowledge of who Jesus is. And here's what's going. Uh, one attribute that I almost left off, but I'm actually glad I saved it to the end. Jesus is eternal. So he, he never began. He's always been there, which is kind of just makes the mind explode a little bit. Of like, even like as a kid, that's like one of the hardest questions to answer when your kid's like, so who created Jesus? Next question about sports, hopefully. Like, it's like, like that's a really hard to answer. Like, that one is like, Jesus has no end. And here's why this is important. All the other attributes I've mentioned, forever, for eternity, you are going to increasingly know more about Jesus because he's infinite and eternal and you're not, which means every single day in eternity and every moment, you're going to come to find more of who Jesus is and get to explore him forever. Man, he's incredible. He's supremely valuable. There is no one like Jesus. So that's who Jesus is. Well, what does Jesus give? Uh, if I can be so crass, like what are the benefits? And I don't mean like benefits in a bad way because I don't want to sound like we're, like we're using Jesus, but like in the Old Testament, literally one of the Psalms says, forget not his benefits, like what God gives you. So I just want to like, again, just blitz through some of the things that he gives. I just wrote down some of these things for me. Um, number one, at the heart of it, salvation. Like at the heart of so much is our salvation. He gives salvation. It's this idea that, man, we are sinful broken people who do not deserve the grace of God. I have sinned and infinitely deserve his wrath, but the gospel is that Jesus came. He lived the perfect life I couldn't live. He died the death I deserved to life, and then he deserved to die, and then he was raised to life so that I could live, and now because of Jesus, I can have salvation, which is my deepest problem and need in life. I thought about this in the coming days, that so many things that Jesus gives us uh, address our felt needs, but here's something I've learned in life. It's your unfelt needs that are sometimes your deepest needs. As a physical illustration, you need breath more probably than anything, but you don't think about it at all until what? You stop breathing or you're drowning. And at that moment, you realize it's actually your deepest need. Our problem of our sin is one that most of our world actually doesn't feel, but it's the greatest problem they have in Jesus through his life, death, and resurrection gives us, is willing to give us salvation. 
But that's not the only thing he gives. He also removes our shame. Book of Romans, there therefore is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So no matter what you have done in the room because of Jesus, he can replace shame with honor and love. He also gives wisdom. The one who is infinite in wisdom can give it to you, which is such good news because I don't know about you, but I am a parent. I am an employee. Um, I'm a spouse. I'm so many of these different things, and sometimes it's hard to know what I'm supposed to do. But Jesus is infinitely wise, and he is willing to give me his wisdom if we will but ask. And in Scripture, we see his wisdom revealed. So you don't have to do life on your own. So in other words, it's not just about, okay, I'm saved and now I wait till I'm died to live life with God. It's like, no, like I'm saved and now I can live daily the way that God would have me to do because Jesus can give me wisdom. He gives healing. He gives healing. Jesus throughout the New Testament would just go around healing people of their diseases. And listen, I know that at the end of the day, every single person who got healed died. They died. And that is true today. Even as we pray for healing and Jesus will give it, at the end of the day, we are going to all die. But if you are in Jesus, when you die, you are actually ultimately healed. Someone I knew recently was battling cancer until their dying day. And at their dying day, they lost, in a sense, that battle to cancer and died. And you can say, well, why didn't Jesus heal them? And I'd say, he did heal them. They are now with Jesus forever, where there is no more cancer. There is no more death. There is no more pain. Jesus can give healing in this life before our death or at our death if we are in Jesus. He gives help and aid and rest. What does Jesus say at one point? Come to me, all of you who are tired and heavy laden, and I will what? Give you rest. So if you're in here and you're struggling and you don't know how to make it through your tomorrow, Jesus is there to help you make it through your tomorrow. And to carry you through. He gives you hope for the future. That no matter how dark this world is, because of what Jesus has done, you can have hope for the future. That one day he's going to set everything right, not just in your life, but in the world. Again, I could go on and go on and go on. But these are just some of the benefits, some of the things that Jesus gives. Again, are you seeing why he is so precious, so valuable? Let me give you one more though of how Jesus can never be taken away. Here's why this matters. Let me kind of do a different illustration right now. Can we get a picture of our iPhone line up there? Um, I know it's not like this anymore, but back in the day when the iPhones first came out, this is what it took to get one, is you would like line up in lines around buildings. Now you just order online, so you don't have to worry about it as much anymore, but you would line up in lines. And here's the thing, when I look at this picture, um, I really just see a bunch of people who think what? That it is worth their time and their investment, because it's going to be about $1,000 of their money, to wait in line all that time and all that money to get an iPhone. Let's take our next picture. I think this is uh, near a Best Buy um, or another store. This is for a Black Friday. Anyone ever done any of this kind of thing of like getting in line for Black Friday sales? I've actually done it. Didn't sleep, uh, like didn't camp out and do what this guy did. I actually want to give him props. That's like next level planning right there. Like even the other guys in the chairs, he just literally brought an inflatable mattress. That's brilliant. Um, I did this one time. I went to Walmart on Black Friday, which was actually Thursday night, like at midnight. It was the worst decision I probably have ever made in my entire life because like, like Walmart on Black Friday slash Thursday midnight is like where you go to like die and, and lose your salvation. Um, I'm joking. You, you don't do that. But like I, I literally we get there and I think like here they're waiting for a PS5. The new PS5 is coming out. I think at the time it was a PS3 or 4, but like my son wanted 
wanted this. And so I went there um, at midnight to get it because it was going to sell out. And so I'm getting there. And, and Walmart was really wise in that in their electronics section, like they let you in and then you all crowded around these bins and these bundles that they had taped and you couldn't see what it was. And so one thing was Xboxes, one thing was PS, like threes or whatever it was. And then one thing I think was like a Nintendo Switch, but you didn't know which was which. Brilliant idea. Um, it's not a brilliant idea because guess what? At midnight and even the few seconds before, because no one knows where they're at, people start tearing at the packages and then people start swarming and literally leaping over each other's bodies to try to get to the different places because they were at the wrong spot. I looked out by the grace of God and was at the right spot, grabbed the PS3, then grabbed a controller. Someone reached out and tried to yank it from my hand. I looked at them and I said, you will let that go. I felt like that really is what I said in that moment. I had a moment of like, it was intensity because I looked at them and I was like, I, had, I said stuff without having to say it, if you know what I meant. And that was like, you will let that go. And he did. And so we're cool. We were cool. I hope he got whatever he came in there to get. Anyways, I got out of there in like 10 minutes. I, but here's the, in that moment, I was saying it was worth it. And it was. And I would say the iPhone people, it was worth it. But here's how I would qualify. It was worth it at the time. Because would you right now, pay, let's say, $1,000 for an iPhone 1, given how much the technology has increased? No. That'd be an awful deal. The, the second you buy an iPhone, in a sense, it begins degrading in quality because the technology increases and it can do much more. Same thing with, like, the people waiting in line for a PS3 for whatever. Like, whatever you buy, whatever you spend your money and your time on in this world, at some point, it's going to de degrade, and at some point, you're going to lose it. Here's the beautiful thing about Jesus. He's a treasure you can never lose. He's a treasure that never degrades in value. You have him forever. Any treasure that can be taken away from you is ultimately not of supreme importance, but a treasure that can never be taken away from you is a treasure you will have forever. And if you are in Jesus, you will never lose him. I heard it um, said one time, this has always stuck with me, that if you are in Jesus, for God to lose you, he'd have to lose Jesus. <laughs> that ain't happening. That was a Southern expression. I know that maybe flew over some of your heads, but I had to say it like, God can never lose Jesus, so you can never, he can never lose you, so you can never lose him. This is why he's the treasure. So now let me ask you, is he worth it? Yes. But let's also be honest. He is worth it. And <laughs> sometimes we want to get back on the throne, start calling the shots again. Sometimes we want to take back that blank check and say, okay, you can have these things, but this thing over here you, you can't touch anymore. Or we say, no, no, like this thing is a little bit more worth my time, my investment. Like we make Jesus less valuable. So, so, so what do we do? Like, in other words, like in here, what I, what I hope has been happening is as you've encountered all these things of who Jesus is, what he gives, how he can never be taken away, what I've been praying, and I really even should have said it to you at the beginning, is I've been praying, it's almost like if you've ever fallen in love, what happens over time is sometimes you lose that, but then sometimes that'll just be rekindled, and you're like, oh, this is like, I've been praying that your love for Jesus would just be rekindled, and that your eyes would be open against the supreme, valuable treasure he is. Like, what if you do now, though, in your daily life as, as you're struggling with, hey, sometimes I want to get back on the throne, sometimes. So I want to take back that blank check. What do you do? Okay, Number one, remember the gospel. 
that it is nothing you give to Jesus <laughs> that saves you. It is what he gave to you. So don't, don't start with, oh, here's all that I have to do. No, no, start with all that he's done for you. So remember that. Number two, I'd say is this. I hope what we've just experienced, like we've just spent the last 20 minutes doing nothing but glorying in Jesus and setting our minds on him and who he is and what he's done and how we can never lose him. If you want to value Jesus, we've got to spend time weekly doing that. That we've got to spend time, I can't remember where I put all my stuff, and I'm like, just swimming in the ocean of who he is and what he's done. And then it'll be rekindled. And then here's the last thing. I thought about this at the last service. I'm just going to give this to you as a practical thing to do. And in fact, I'm going to have just a moment of quiet and prayer in a moment. That here's what I want you to think about. What, what is the thing in your life that if you were honest, you would say, hey, I know Jesus is more important. I know he's a supremely invaluable treasure. But recently, this other thing has mattered more. Or recently, like if there's this blank check idea, recently this is the part that I haven't been willing to give to him. What is that? And here's what I would simply want you to do. Let's just do a comparison. Compare whatever that thing is that has been more important to you recently and compare it to Jesus. And just ask yourself, is this thing worth more than Jesus and everything we just heard? And the answer is no. But just think about it and then just remind yourself of the value of Jesus and say, Jesus, I give this thing to you because you give everything to, to me and you're the supreme treasure to be valued. Let's pray together. Um, and let's just even maybe spend a few months doing that together. Um, I, I do this because even though I know sometimes we, we end sermons differently, like to me, this is where this kind of stuff can become real. So I would just ask you, like, if you were honest in your heart of hearts, what is that thing or those things in your life that have been more of a treasure to you than Jesus recently? What, what are those things where it's maybe in your beginning of your walk with Jesus that you just said, hey, I'm going to give it all, like you've been now holding back? And I, I just want you now to, to really just take a moment in your heart and your mind and really just think about that thing and then put it kind of up against Jesus and just really ask yourself, okay, what really is more valuable, more important? What's really going to be able to give me what I want and long for? What really is worth my time and my investment and my energy? What's worth my mind and my heart? And maybe right now, if it's just a mental thing for you, maybe even just ask God to help your heart catch up to your mind and say, oh, Jesus, would you open up my eyes to see just how preciously amazing you are and that you're worth far more. And maybe again, in your own words, even now, just speak to Jesus and just say, Jesus, like, you are the treasure. You and your kingdom are the treasure. You are the pearl. And God, I'm so sorry if I have been holding back or placing greater importance in other things, if other things have become my treasure. 
I just want to give them now back to you and say you'd be the ultimate treasure of my life. As they're doing that, if you're here for the uh, first time or not even the first time, it doesn't even really matter how many times you've been here. If, if you're not a believer in Jesus, I'd even just say like right now, if, if as you've just encountered who Jesus is and what he gives, if, if God's been stirring in your heart, it's okay, like, I'm ready to write the blank check and give my all. Just even even right now with you and him, just do that in your own words. God, I'm reminded um, of the C.S. Lewis quote um, where he just talked about how um, a lot of times we think our desires are too strong for for things besides you. But um, Lewis pointed out that the problem is that, that our desires are too strong, they're too weak, that we're so easily pleased with things that are so small and so invaluable compared to your worth and value and the pleasure and the joy that is found in you. Um, and so, God, I just pray for our people, not just for now in this moment, but even every, every day going forward, that we would not be so easily pleased. That, that you are the supremely sovereign, all-valuable king. And, and who you are and what you've given to us, and we can never, like, it's insane. So help us, God, to settle for nothing less than you and all that you have for us and all that you are. Help us not to be tempted by such small things in comparison to you. But Lord, for where we have been, Lord, we, we, we pray for forgiveness and we thank you for the gospel. That, that even if we haven't treasured you the way we ought, you treasured us so much that you left heaven to come and seek us. <laughs> that even though on our best days, we still have nothing to offer you other than just simply ourselves. Like, you wanted us, so thank you for that. And I pray that even the people in this room right now would just be receiving that grace and that love, and it would wash over them, and that would even right now show them how much more of a treasure you are. Oh, God, stir our love for you, Jesus. Stir our affections for you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, every week we have a time of communion. And really, this is a time for a few things. If, if you're new to, to church, um, it, it's a time for us to continue to reflect on the truths that we've just heard and, and to just think and reflect more on them. Um, it's a time, even regardless of what we just heard, just to maybe even just evaluate our current lives and, and, and our current walks with God, what I sometimes do is I'm sitting alone. Not that you have to do this. It's just if you're unsure what to do, I'm just trying to give you a little bit of a prompt that you could do. Is Sometimes I'll just even just think back on the previous week and what has my walk with, with Jesus been like day in and, and day out? Where, where have been the high moments, but maybe even been where are some of the low moments? Um, that's another thing that you, you can do. Um, I also just think about any sin I need to confess. But in that moment, before I go and take communion, because the whole idea of communion is it's not about stuff that we have to do to get right with God. It's the ultimate representation of what Jesus did so that we could be right with God. 
It's a symbol of his broken body and his blood shed. And so what I do in that moment is I'm reflecting back or if I'm thinking about the word, I always just think through Jesus. Thank you for the fact that no matter how much I succeeded this week, it didn't change how you loved me. And no matter how much I failed, it didn't change how much you loved me. And thank you for the fact that no matter how much I succeeded or failed, your body broken and your blood shed is the reason I can come through this door today and is the reason I can walk with you daily. Communion is a reminder of what Jesus has done for us. And it's a chance for you just to commune with him, to spend some time with him. And so again, you can follow some of the prompts I just mentioned. Maybe for you it's something else. Whatever it is, here's what I'd say is just use this time to spend intentional, purposeful time with Jesus in your own mind and heart. Um, here's what that can look like. We have up here um, to my left, your right, another uh, bottom, we have juice. Over here, we have wine. Down at these front stations, you'll take the bread and dip it into the juice over here or the wine over here. We have stations in the back that are more individual little packets if you prefer that. So when it comes time and you feel led, go and take communion. Before then and during that, let this be a time of just personal time of communion with Jesus and just recognizing the supremely invaluable, insanely valuable king that you get to commune with. Then when you're ready, we're gonna be leading worship up here and singing, you join in whenever you're ready. Let's worship Jesus together.